Hello and welcome to The Leaderverse with your hosts, Drew Lee, Lucas Sheradin, and me, Jesse Button. Today, we tackle the topic of fear. Whether you have a fear of judgment, a fear of failure, a fear of success, in the lives of leaders, we all face it. The question is, are you aware of all of your fears or are you acting out of certain patterns that come from fears that are actually lying somewhere in your subconscious? Wow, lot to unpack here. Let's get started. All that and more today on The Leaderverse. Lucas and I had a great conversation last week about caring conversations, also known as fierce conversations and difficult conversations. And what makes them a lot of times uncomfortable is that we have to call somebody out that they're acting in fear when they might have a blind spot so often in those conversations. So uh, that led me to remember a conversation that I had had with a member of my family, my son. He's 17 years old and he's a varsity golf player in his high school and his high school is super competitive. And a couple of years ago when he was thinking about trying out, he was, you know, he was just terrified. I think as parents, we so often have these coaching conversations without realizing it. And I had the well, what are you so afraid of conversation? All right. Well, what would happen then? What would happen then? All right. All right. What would happen then? So you uncover that fear, right? And it got me thinking, what are my blind spots? What are the, what are the times that I thought of you both? What are the times that you have had to, in your own lives, walk through this fear of judgment, fear of failure, fear of success? And can you give me an example? Numerous, <laughs> <laughs> all of the above, Lucas. Well, I, I, what I'm thinking about is like there's two layers in my mind of that question, Jesse. There's the fear that I'm aware of, and there's the fear that I'm unaware of. Mm-hmm. There's the fear that like, oh, I'm scared of. You know, we had um, a phone call Friday night. Family member had a had a trip to the emergency room. Okay, I'm very aware. I'm scared. <laughs> you know, it's like I'm very very aware of that. But then it's like, well, now it's time to go lead generate. And I, yeah, I, you know what? I want to go do this instead of picking up the phone. And I want to go do this because I'm picking up the phone. Well, in my mind, that's a fear that sometimes I'm not even aware of that's work. And I feel very justified in my actions um, when I'm defensive in an in a argument or when I'm, there's just so many different things that like, I'm not even aware that fear is my autopilot right now. And so I think that there's two levels to that question. The times that I've been aware of, it seems like if I'm aware that I'm scared and I'm afraid, I could deal with it. That that's I can face the fear, you know. And uh, writing a book right now, I'm very aware that I'm afraid. I got fear going on. Like maybe this, maybe I don't have a voice. Maybe this isn't really that valuable. Maybe nobody will like it. Maybe Drew Lee will come back and say this is this is garbage. It's all garbage, Lucas, and, and rewrite whatever it is. Hey, even the worst books sometimes make the greatest coasters. Just so you know, <laughs> and they protect coffee tables. So you know there is always a use. They level desks. If the legs don't, I, if it, no matter what it is, I think it's going to be a masterpiece. I Thank think it's going to be incredible. And worst case, you know, I will have my drink on it, buddy. That there, there's always, uh, always Drew to encourage me. And so, but, but here's the funny <laughs> no thing. No fear. It's going to be used. Yes, it will be used. But here's what's fun about that is now that I'm aware that that's a fear, 
that comment from Jude that if I was unaware that it was a fear, Jude could have made that comment and I could have spiraled out of control. It was like, why, why did he say that? That's just so, and I could have made up all sorts of stories because that's the unaware fear. And so I, I think that I can think of several times in my life that I, out of fear, did things. And honestly, you know, I, I think like right now, I'm like we talked about last week, I'm afraid sometimes to have a hard conf, uh, conversation with an employee or somebody on the team. I'm afraid sometimes of, gosh, the real estate, I'm deeply in real estate and, and the brokerage level and on the sales team level. Well, gosh, real estate's down 35%. And generally speaking, who's taking the pummeling is new agents that are on my team. And if they don't do this, maybe I won't be able to make payroll and then I'll lose good employees. And, and so it's like, I see fear all around. And I mean, it, it's, I, I'm not going to lie. There have been in the last three or four weeks, I'm waking up at 2.30 in the morning, three o'clock in the morning with just stuff thinking and mulling over. And I may be able to put on a front during the day, but at 2.30 in the morning, I'm defenseless. I am sorry, but no affirmation under the sun helps you go back to sleep at 2.30 in the morning. You, I mean, it, it's just, it's there. And so I, I like playing this game, Drew, and I don't know if you do this with your coaching clients. I'll ask like teams, because it's easier to spot in everybody else than in ourselves. I think that's why, Jesse, you went right asking us <laughs> what times have you been afraid instead of saying, Drew, on the coaching schedule that you have, how do you deal with fear? It's like, but I will I often ask people to help them get back into reflecting on themselves. When people are scared, they blank, fill in the blank. And I they'll list a bunch of stuff I'm like, okay, so anytime you do that, just know it's not that you're a bad person. It's just you're scared. Now we get to surface the fear and deal with it. And I know I totally took two or three minutes to not answer your question. <laughs> but I've been thinking about this a lot because in the last four weeks, I personally right now, right as of this moment, because so much transition, professionally, my roles have changed, um, striking out and doing something new that I've never done before, uh, writing a book, which, scare, which honestly scares me because once it's in writing, it's out there and it, it can't be retracted. Um, it, it's just all these things. Yeah. Last night was three o'clock in the morning. I'd say that half the half the week I'm up at two, three o'clock in the morning because I'm just like, oh my gosh, what am I doing? It's you know, it's it's legitimate. I love it. You said conscious and unconscious because you know you you can read certain books and they'll say fear is false evidence appearing real, and you know fear is manufactured and. Um, you know, uh, you know, you can control fear, but you know, the, the, the reality of the human condition is that fear is an instinctual thing that lives in at an unconscious level. And, and there are fears that we're rapidly aware of they're conscious they're often manifested they're created, they live in this, you know, between the left and the right ear. And, and they're made up frequently, and they may be a false evidence appearing real. And at the unconscious level, it's a survival instinct. It's part of the limbic system of the human mind and the brain that, you know, we're, we're still operating on a system that says, hey, by the way, will this thing eat you or can you eat it? Mm -hmm. Will this thing kill you? What we've done, though, is we've taken an instinctual fear that is supposed to keep us alive and and often we use it as a crutch of the reason I can't, the reason I can't move forward. And I think the difference is often what are you afraid of 
And is this about you or is this about someone else? If you're writing a book, for example, and, and your, your book is going to be magnificent, I'm sure, and it's probably going to impact a lot of amazing people because I've heard you speak and I've heard uh, so many people come up to me afterwards and like, God, I love that guy. Um, and his talk was so incredible and so incredibly impactful that I know your words written on paper are going to do the same thing if you write it for you. That's right. And I think that's the biggest difference is, is, is if our fear of what will the reader think of this, then we're operating outside of our own true power, our own yeah. true strength. Yeah. I'm writing this because I want to write this. Whatever you're doing, I want to pursue a job opportunity. I want to have children. I want to do something that could potentially fail, that could maybe even lead to embarrassment, that could lead to a negative outcome. Well, fear is one thing. And people say be courageous, but what is courageous? Courageous is not an absence of fear. If anything else, courage is being aware that you're afraid and then you do something anyway. Yeah, when I was the, in the military, go ahead. The great American philosopher, John Wayne, uh, before your time, Jesse, but Drew grew up with John Wayne. And so it's like, he, he said, courage is being scared out of your mind, but saddling up and riding out anyway. Yes. That is courage. Sorry, yes. I, I couldn't help but get a John Wayne quote in there. <laughs> well, I, I recall, um, and, and if you go into pretty much, I'm as far as I'm aware, every military hospital in existence, uh, at least those in the Navy, uh, when when I was in the when I was in the armed services, I would go to you know go to a clinic, get checked out for whatever, and in the in the halls of the hospital, they would have all the recipients of the Medal of Honor. And they would just line the walls. If you've ever been to a military hospital, you've probably seen this where they've had these heroic men and women who who call, I, I hate to say one, uh, because it's, it's not like you win the Congressional Medal of Honor. You've earned it. You've been awarded it. And then you read the stories of these individuals and there's no way they weren't scared. That's right. I mean, what, what, what some of the sacrifices and the things that they did many of them instinctual. I don't think you would naturally jump on a hand grenade as a logical act. <laughs> and there's no way that you wouldn't be terrified at the same time. But the courage to do so and save countless lives around you and sacrifice yourself, that had to be incredibly To be fearful. there in the first place. I mean, the whole... Um that service just to be in that situation in the first place is, is, is terrifying and so courageous. Yes. And, 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 and the number of men and women that lined up to serve in the world war II era, you know, they lined up once, once the bombing happened in Pearl Harbor, swear themselves in knowing what awaited them. That was honor. And at the same time, that was courage. Many did it because they were afraid of what their, you know, what others would say about them for not doing it. What's your reason? What's your compelling reason that's about you that comes from your heart of why are you pursuing what you are? Because hmm. your real question was like, how do you deal with it? And are there circumstances and times when you've had to overcome your own fear in order to move forward? 
I just heard Phil Jones address that whole fear is, you know, the, the false evidence appearing real. And there are times, truly, it's like, okay, it's just, this is just stuff that I'm making up in my head. There's nothing to be scared of. But then there's other times. And he goes, yeah, it's not false evidence appearing real. He says, F everything and run. <laughs> That's what it stands for. <laughs> I'm like, I did that for your honor, Drew, because I don't typically use that kind of language. But it was just like, but I love the realness of that conversation because there are times that, it really is scary having, you know, risking something, risking your personal thing. And at the same time, I'm reading Michael Easter's book, The Comfort Crisis right now, which is a phenomenal book mm. that what, what happens is in our comfort addicted society, we reduce the level of what we consider problems. It used to be what you said. The problem was we may get eaten in the middle of the night or we may eat something yes. that will kill us the next day. Now in our 72 air controlled areas, walking with shoes that never touch the ground to get hurt and not really wondering, is a lion going to come out of that tree and eat my family? Yes. My problems now are, gosh, is this business going to have enough money to pay the bills this month? Which yes. is a problem, but it's not going to kill me if it doesn't happen this month, right? Yeah, we've we've manifested, you know, there's a term we we often throw it around like first world problems. Yeah, that's and, exactly. and it's a legitimate statement because so often what we fear now is a dream of somebody else. You know, it's an illusion. It's it's like what we've already accomplished. So many that listen, so many that are on this and, and hearing what we've already accomplished. Your biggest accomplishment is somebody else's like bucket list item. What you've already done and achieved is somebody's pinnacle or dream or vision board somewhere else. And, and we forget that. Um, I have a phrase uh, and it's, it's, it's trademark pending, uh, but I call it Maslow's misery because you've ever studied Maslow's hierarchy of needs. It talks about the you know, physiological needs, the mental needs, and you work your way up to self-actualization. But so many of us, and especially in this country of wealth and abundance, we've started at the middle of the pyramid. And what we realize is fear is not our fear of where's our next meal or where's water or where's shelter or where are those psychological or physiology, you know, physiological needs. We're way up here hovering and we're not near the self-actualization, but we're worried about things that other people would say, that's your biggest problem. Yeah. I mean, totally judgy. But how many of you besides me have ever had this thought that rich people have no problems? Like what problems <laughs> could you, what, you don't have problems. You make how much? Your net yeah. worth is how much? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're, you're worried about what exactly? Your kids are attending Yale. <laughs> oh yeah, you have problems. You ever done that? Yep, totally. But, but the human mind doesn't distinguish between the significance of an issue it's a problem. And at an internal unconscious level, we deal with these things with stress, often with anxiety. And when it comes to what is the worst case outcome, what's the best case outcome? And the way to deal with this, in many cases, is you look at two components. If we, if we talk about a strategic or a way to move forward in spite of what you fear or what you're afraid of, whether that be success, whether that be failure, uh, to me, they're they're both sides of the same coin. Whether you're afraid of success or whether you're afraid of failure, in most cases, it's it's still you're afraid of looking bad or what will happen to you in the pursuit. 
It's not the achievement that most people are really afraid of. It's the pursuit. When somebody says, I fear success or I'm afraid of success, I don't think it's afraid of success at all. I think you're afraid of the pursuit. And what happens if you reach the destination? Or more importantly, what happens if in the pursuit, you fail to reach the destination? They're the same coin. Just flip it. Yeah, dude, for me, I, I love that you bring that up because I know that in my journey, you know, you hit a moment of success and then what the fear of success looks like. And anybody that says they don't know what the fear of success is, I'm not sure is fully self-aware. But once you achieve something, there is in the back of your mind, at least for most of the people I've ever talked to is like, did I get lucky that time? Did the car just fall right? Or did I, was I really that good? And so what happens is you get put on a pedestal for succeeding. And then it's like, oh, crud, if I don't do it again, everybody's going to know I was a fraud the first time. Mm-hmm. And, and so that, that imposter syndrome is very real for people who succeed as well as the mm-hmm. people who fail. And I, and unfortunately, I think sometimes for us to feel success, we need external validation constantly. And if we don't get external validation, you know, without a lot of self-awareness, we're afraid that we're going to get exposed. We're going to get embarrassed. And I love that thing that the pursuit is because like in, in the real estate business, or probably in any business, every month is the scoreboard goes to zero. Yeah. Every day, the scoreboard resets to zero. Every year, the scoreboard resets to zero. And just because you had a good year last year does not necessarily mean you're entitled to have a good year this year. And so I I have to confront me that, do I have to have an external validation? Do I need to have a dollar amount? Do I need to have whatever it is on the outside to have the sense of, man, I I really am worthy and I really am powerful and et cetera, right? But you know what freedom is, Lucas? And you just nailed it. Freedom is where internal validation exceeds the external need for validation. That was recently, it was after the first game. Uh, and you've probably seen highlight reels and videos, and it's a, it's a hot topic of, you know, coach, coach prime Deion Sanders at Colorado university. And after the first win, the question he was asked at the press conference is, you know, does it bother you, the criticism or what other people think of you and his exact words? Cause I've watched it so many times I have it down verbatim. He said, what makes you think I care what you think about me? (laughs) The opinion that you have of me is not the opinion I have of myself. You didn't make, you didn't make me, you can't break me. You didn't build me. You can't kill me. And just imagine if you could live your life in spite of fear and the unknown and the potential negative nor positive or or positive outcome and if you said that the opinion that you have of me is not the opinion that i have of myself that external validation is like a carrot or a stick that lives in an external world and truly the only thing that you need is what you think of you on an internal level the way you deal with these things is one, you have to distinguish, can you control what you're working towards? Call it control the controllables. In 2020, I, I drew a diagram and I probably drew a thousand times and it was just two circles that were interconnected in the middle. And on one side, it said controllables and the other side, it said things that matter. And every time I would find myself kind of like spiraling of, oh my, what's gonna happen? Where are we going? Where's the business? Where's the economy? Where's life? going to take us? Are we going to be this way forever? I mean, whatever was the worst, call it fear, 
or the unknown that you had in that in that era. We all lived through it in our own ind individual ways. We dealt with it in our own individual ways. Some people went to Facebook and they just lashed out. Some people got really quiet. You know, some people, unfortunately, you know, it, it wasn't it wasn't a uh, it wasn't something that that you had a rule book or a guidebook of the hey the last time we went through one of these because it, there was no last time no one alive has ever been through anything that we went through in 2020 so how did you keep your sanity well you control the controllables can i do something about this i cannot control whether i can go to a restaurant or not that is beyond my control what can i control i can look up their recipe online and learn how to screw up their best meal and make it myself but that's controlling the controllables. And then what are the things that truly matter? Well, if you take those two components and you connect them in the middle, you'll find that you're more liberated by moving forward, especially if you're using your internal voice far more than the external voices out there. I, I've said this probably, you know, countless times you've heard it. I'm constantly on this quest of how do I recreate the experience of, of a marathon in everyday life where there is nothing except the encouragement around me mm. and the people who want to see me win because on your marathon you just finished uh one good job berlin yep yeah i think i think that i think kind of looks like a duck uh but that's does. that's what that's the marathon course i don't know exactly what it looks like but maybe a, a, a rabbit kind of yeah 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 there i can see the rabbit there you go there's the ears yeah <laughs> <laughs> one of the many things you think about during your when when you're spell. when you're in that process you're just like everyone here wants you to win yeah what an amazing environment why do i have to travel around the world to seek a hundred percent encouragement of keep going you can do this way to go you're built for this hit this button for power up give me a high five and everyone there is in there's there i would say it's it's nothing but love and support why not every day more importantly are you being that person to others yeah 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 i was uh th listening this morning <laughs> you know if you wake up at three o'clock in the morning you're confronting yourself and welcoming yourself you know to to the day i've had i get a lot of think time and and getting myself emotionally regulated and thinking solid instead of just feeling. But I was listening to a masterclass on some of the greatest investors and Ray, Ray Dalio was highlighted today. And uh, of course, uh, which, which fund did he develop? Uh, Black, was it Black? Black anyway, he developed one of the best hedge funds that one of the best investors ever. Uh, and he, he said this pain plus reflection equals progress. Hmm. And that, that really hit me between the eyes pain equals progress because I, I just posted inside the leaderverse uh, page pain what my typical response is pain plus reaction minus reflection equals digression <laughs> it's like i go backwards or i stay stuck and so i i just wonder sometimes if when i'm stuck am i missing reflection am i missing wait a second let me get i for me this is what works for me jesse is go to thirty thousand feet lucas and look down on yourself and see what you're doing see how you're spinning, see how you're triggering, see how you're reacting, see where are the, these emotions, every emotion, everything that we feel comes from a belief. What am I believing that causes that feeling? Yes. Like I wouldn't be, a, 
I, I use this illustration. It's a terrible illustration, but it works. It's, I've got a um, 15 month old and uh, yeah, 15 month old and a four or five month old. If I threw, threw a bucket of snakes on the blanket in which they were sitting, they would have no reaction. But Jesse, I see it in your face. You're like, why would you do that? Because they have no emotions around it because they don't have any beliefs about snakes. You have a firmly set group of beliefs about snakes that causes them. All emotions come from is some sort of belief system. I have to go to 30,000 feet. Where, where I, what do I believe that causes this emotion? And where did I pick it up at? And yeah. now the other question is like, maybe your belief about snakes serves you, but in success and in life and achievement and running marathons and business and coaching and selling real estate and selling insurance and, and just leadership, some beliefs we hang on to pretty tightly and they just no longer serve us. And they, yes. I think this is my mindset to your original question. Whenever I face one of those fear moments and I become aware of it, or I have a coach say, hey, we got fear showing up. Mm -hmm. That's my moment to say, what am I believing for me to feel this way? And is that belief serving me any longer? And if it's not, where did I pick it up? And let me go to the source of it and do it. And honestly, sometimes you're going to need a professional therapist to help you get through that because sometimes we're very much um enmeshed in our belief systems and self-sabotage occurs that's that's so true and you know i learned this from one of my mentors tony robbins he said you know when you when you tell yourself a story let's say you've you've had some trauma in your life maybe it was when you were a child because often what trauma is trauma is the equation that something has happened to us and we don't have the emotional capacity to deal with it we, you know, especially in your childhood, we don't have felt like we don't understand what is even happening in a traumatic experience. So we can't make sense of it, which is what makes it a trauma, whether it's a physical trauma and you've been injured, you know, it's just like, Hey, that, that you just got you T-boned in an intersection. You can't make sense of that trauma that's happened to your physical body. Your brain's like, well, all right, well, wait a minute, this, that I don't have a left arm and I should have a left arm. And that's kind of odd. So you actually go into shock as your body's way of regulating to stay alive. Mm -hmm. When it's an emotional trauma, and especially if it's happened something younger or as you age, if you were, you know, five-year-olds, for example, it's like you've got a five-year-old constantly in your ear that you're living with telling and retelling and telling and retelling a story your entire life. And you always have that version of you. And the equivalent would be like, all right, you're facing something that's terrifying or you're afraid of, and you're afraid of the process, perhaps even the outcome. And you lean over and you listen to your five-year-old. Hey, what do you think I should do? What's, mm -hmm. what's your advice? None of us would take advice from a five-year-old, <laughs> nor would we be taking advice from a 13-year-old, a 17-year-old, a 22-year-old. Like we would not take advice most frequently from the very person we're listening to most the version of yourself that says, don't do this. Hey, what, what, what if it doesn't work out? What if you look bad? What if your reputation is destroyed? What if you lose everything and, and you end up living under a bridge homeless? I was like, well, then there, last time I checked, there's a lot of cool people down there. I'll make a whole new group of friends. You know, they've, they've already, maybe they've even got already tense or I'll bring mine. We can have one really cool fact, but there was always a what if factor, which is the fear question. And if it does, then what is the faith question? Mm 
What will you do if that happens? Hey, if you did lose everything and you ended up homeless living underneath the bridge, guess what? Tomorrow the sun's going to rise. What are you going to do when that happens? What are you going to do next? What path will you take? And you ask for a specific situation or thoughts. Uh, a few years ago, I left a very successful company. I uh, had a high executive role within that company. Um, it was a it was a comfortable position. It was an incredibly lucrative and well paid position, and and I left it. And I would I would say you know I don't say this to impress you. I say this to impress upon you. Uh, it was in the top one two percent of of income earning, and that's not important. What's important is moving forward. I left based on principles and based on values. And I chose and I worked and, I'm, and we, we came to an agreement of going somewhere new. So I left with no safety net. I said, I'm out. I'm going to go do this. Um, three things happened in this order within five seconds. One, I hit, I hit send on my resignation letter. Two, I hit activate to reactivate my inactive real estate license. And three, I sent a letter to now my business partner. I said, hey, by the way, I just left the job and I have no idea what I'm going to do. Would you be interested in having a conversation? That led to my very next month's paycheck, a number I'll never forget, $954.88. I left a high-paying, comfortable, lucrative position that I could still be sitting into this day. And my very next paycheck was $954.88. I have three young children. I have a wife. I have a family. I have multiple mortgages. I have all of these things that say that was stupid. <laughs> what are you thinking? Are you insane? And by the way, this wasn't other people. This was this guy in my own head. Are you nuts? Who does this? No one does this. This is not conscious thought. You should get a therapist. You should like either start or stop drinking whatever is causing these thoughts. <laughs> but how do you move forward in spite of that? What can I control? What matters? I had a coach and a very dear friend. His name's Craig. Uh, I said, well, what if I just stay in this role in spite of the fact that my values no longer align? And he said, it will eat your soul. Mm. I said, okay. Well, that sounds worse. No matter what the outcome is, living homeless underneath a bridge, my soul being eaten sounds worse. So you move forward in spite of the fear. And was it always a comfortable ride? No. Were there many moments of ups, downs, sideways? Yes. Uh, I also have, I am so blessed to have an amazing partner, my bride, my right arm, my left arm, my, my part of my soul. Um, because she constantly also reminded me, it's just stuff. We lose it, lose it all. We won't lose each other. It's just stuff. Somehow we'll make it through. So you control what you can control. You move forward in spite of that. And you progress to where you want to be, but you do it for you. And you do it with your own self and your own opinion of yourself that gets you through the toughest times. What were the fears after that? Can I do it? Can I do it again? I mean, I coach. I coached executive level uh, business people. They were all successful. They were high paid. Money was not an issue. I had to start all over again. Immediately, my my drunk monkey, my my reptile brain said, "Hey, 
can you do it again? Could you ever really do it? Were you ever really that good to begin with? Maybe it's a facade. Maybe you faked it. Maybe you got lucky. Maybe you got to sign these people. Maybe you didn't make that much of a difference. Maybe this is just all ego and you're not that good. That's some scary thoughts. Mm -hmm. And every day you got to wake up and say, well, even that opinion that's coming from thyself isn't the opinion that I really have. And you move forward in spite of it. And every person that we look up to, those top one percenters, the reason we look up to them is because their stories are inspiring because they did things that the average person would never do. They were fearful and they were courageous enough to keep going. So I, I'm thinking about like Drew's, Drew's story and, and just thinking through. So when I, for me, when I'm in that moment, like Drew just accurately described, I think what I've gone through, what you've gone through, Justin, what so many people goes, have gone through when we're in moments of where we are very in touch with that feeling. There's a feeling, a physical feeling. And I think for me, it's like one is, don't if you're going through hell keep going don't stop you know it, it's kind of like at the airport i noticed kansas city got a new airport and when you leave the airport you go through these little security gates to get out and as you go through the automatic doors open up at the lady and it's funny it's one of those things that stick, sticks with you there's a voice that goes don't stop keep moving and it's like that's kind of the way life is because if you are stuck if you stop in the middle of a bad season, you'll stay stuck. And that may be, you may get to the point where it's going to be really, really challenging to, to get that back in. So one, I think keep moving. Number two is this is like, whenever I'm feeling these things, I I'm thinking about uh, Chris Suarez and all of his conversations about emotional intelligence. This is my opportunity to grow a muscle of emotional regulation. And this is what I tell myself and my team, all feelings must be validated all feelings do not need to be acted upon. It's like, I, you know what? You, you're right. You're freaked out, right? You're right. You're angry. You're right. You're defensive. That I, I get it. I understand it. Now, what do I choose to do? Uh, so for me, it's like, one is I have to stay in action. Two, I need to be, because this is what I do. I don't know about you guys. And maybe because I'm a dude and dudes do this is I just act like nothing bothers me. I, I do David's Goggins, you can't hurt me. And yet inside of dying, I'm hurting, I'm scared. I've got all these emotions like, no, no, no. I want to be with that emotion and not ignore it. I just don't have to act upon it. I, don't, I have to emotionally regulate myself. And then I, I think there, there are things that help me build faith. There's affirmations work for me. I do a lot of stuff with the language that I use inside of my head. I ask myself, what else could this be? I try to do everything I can to reframe this, that, Okay, that thing didn't, didn't work out. Massively disappointed. And now, you, like Drew, uh, the moment that he walked away uh, from that, well, guess what? He's Pinocchio. There ain't no strings on him. He's a free man. Now he doesn't have to answer to anybody. He, he now gets to make decisions. He now gets to prove to himself. So there's opportunity in everything. And the reason why we don't see opportunity in everything, I think, is because we're not looking for the opportunity. We're just looking at the problem. We're looking at what caused us to be scared. Uh, so I, I think that there is like, if I, if whatever I seek, I find. So if life throws me a curveball today and I'm like, oh, crud, 
I'm going to go broke. Oh, crud. I'm going to live down in a van by the river. I, oh, crud. I'm going to live under the bridge with Julie, which would be horrific. Lisa, you know? Hey, that means you got a van. I no longer have to worry. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, you heard it right here. I no longer have to worry about my deepest, darkest fear because Lucas go. will have a van. Yeah, down by yes. The river. So, but here's the thing. It's like, Instead of going there, I need to train my brain to say, okay, where's the opportunity? Because if you want to think about it really critically, every person in history that's made a significant impact looked problem in the eye and found an opportunity in the problem that everybody else was freaked out about. Winston Churchill looked at, looked at what all of England and Europe said was a problem, and they tried to make peace with the problem. He said, no, this is a problem, and it's an opportunity for us to get victory by air, by land, by sea. We're going to have victory at all costs, right? Uh, I, I'm listening to a biography on Abraham Lincoln. It, it's like the union was going to fall apart. States were going to su succeed. He has to deal with slavery and he has to deal. I, I've never even thought about the whole politics of racism at that level at Abraham Lincoln, that he had to take the country as far as it could handle, but not take it so far that it would break it. So he had to make some compromises with things that we would think are actually, they are immoral. I mean, he yeah. did not recognize that all black people were humans. Mm -hmm. He, I mean, it's just like, oh my gosh. And yet he took the country to the next step so that we could get to the place where all men are really are created equal under God. And so it's I just like, you know, that stuff is like, I, I want to train my brain that it's, huh. where's the opportunity? I want to seek it. I want to look for it. It's like, ouch, where's the opportunity? Dang it. Where's the opportunity? Well, I want to keep coming, bringing us back to so what's the opinion you have of yourself? Because we're, especially with social media and Instagram and TikTok and likes, is you know author jay shetty of think like a monk and the eight rules for love said you know why is it that we wait to be liked before we feel likable why is it we wait to feel loved before we believe we are lovable he said you know when you're waiting for external validation to feel valid it's going to be a gap because everyone that you just described you can't get likes from your critics when Abraham Lincoln, when Winston Churchill, when these iconic figures in our history took a stand, you got to realize that they were met with harsh criticism. In many cases, the majority of those around them criticized every decision they made. If you've ever read anything on Lincoln, when he made the decisions that he made, the Gettysburg Address, for one, the Emancipation Proclamation, it was met with such resistance by his cabinet members, by those in his party, by the vast majority of people around him. What about this? What about that? You can't. What if this happens? But you have that internal compass that says, yes. And we're going to do it this way. I'm going to do it this way. I'm going to move forward this way. Here is my internal compass. And so long as you're looking for external validation, keep in mind, you're only going to get it based on who you have externally in your world. A few years ago, Tom Rath wrote a book called How Full Is Your Bucket? It's not one of his more famous books. I reference it all the time because there's actually a children's version and we've had our kids read it. We gave it and donated it to the school because I think it's such an impactful book that says every day, every interaction you have with another human being is an opportunity to be either a bucket dipper or a bucket filler. Which one are you? If you have a lot of dippers in your life, 
then you've got to have a really strong core and an internal compass that says, in spite of all this, here's what I'm going to do. If you have a world of bucket fillers around you, candidly, it's easier. It's so much easier because you're going to have people say, yeah, you can do that. You can achieve anything. Go ahead and climb Mount Everest. Go ahead and cross Antarctica alone, unassisted. Go, honey, you can do it. So how do you deal with fear? We all have it. Every one of us have it. To negate it, to think that we don't, is to defy instinct on a very basic fundamental level. We have an instinct to breathe. We have an instinct to eat. We have an instinct to drink. We have an instinct to be afraid. It's a survival mechanism. When it's manipulated and brought into the external world that prevents us from moving forward and living our life, then it becomes something else. The question is, what will you do when you're faced with your fear? Success, failure, winning, losing, all the above. And there's a coin. Many of you guys have heard this. Uh, this is a popular phrase. Uh, it's from uh, the author of the book, Aspire, uh, Kevin Hall. And he, he had a term called Genshai. And I may mispronounce it, maybe Genshai, but I pronounce it Genshai. So that's what I pronounce it as. And it says, never treat another human being in a manner that would make them feel small, including yourself. You, you've cured it again. Thank you. Thank you both. I appreciate the conversation. Well, you've got to take us home now. Won't you? We're not home. Are we not home? <laughs> there. No, I no, like. You've got to take us home. You've, we, we've, we've been monopolizing this conversation. You've got to take us home. I like the breakup theory uh, when it comes to fear. Uh, her name is, the book is called Woman Evolve. And her name is uh, Sarah Jakes Roberts. She says that we're in relationships with our fears, just like an overbearing partner. They constantly influence us and they often dictate our actions. They go where we go. They pretend to keep us safe when in reality, they just consume and manipulate us. So that's why uh, Sarah says we need to break up with our fears. The ones that are not serving us. I like that theory. Naming, um, naming negative emotions tends to, tends to work for not all, but some people. And I think it, uh, or personifying them rather, I think it works for me. Out with you. <laughs> you know, I'm going to make a, a, a big statement. All fear is attachment. That's right. All fear is associated and linked to attachment. That's exactly right. And it's what are you afraid of losing when it's all said and done? It might be losing identity. It might be losing life. It might be losing self. It might be losing something. But what does that all have in common? Attachment. If I succeed, who will I be? If I fail, who will I be? Well, if you're attached to who you are, your ego, your mind, who you think you are, your family, the possessions that you have, money, whatever it is you're attached to, then becoming someone different would force you to reevaluate the level of importance or your attachment to it. All pain, all fear is attachment. 
And there's a there's a quote I want to wrap on uh, by Tony Robbins. And in 2020, in most challenging times, sometimes when you can self-diagnose yourself, it's actually even greater pain because you're aware of what's happening in real time. Right. You may not be able to fix it in real time. But he said, the quality of your life is in direct proportion to the amount of uncertainty you can comfortably live with. And isn't that what fear really is? We hold on to things we're attached to. And in order to let go or overcome the fear, we have to detach, become untethered, or live with the uncertainty. So I'll say it again. The quality of your life is a direct proportion to the amount of uncertainty you can live with.